Welcome back to Legend of the Gloria Heroes, where we react to and discuss the latest going-ons in the galaxy. Democracy might be dead, but we're still here. And, uh, you know, I think with the conclusion of the second season, we've, uh, we here at the podcast have earned ourselves a nice, uh, relaxing vacation trip to little old Earth. <laughs> as always, I'm your host, G, and with me, as always, is my plus one, Eero. Yeah, hi. Um, you know, I don't know if I've ever been to Earth, uh, but... I hear it's uh, the birthplace of humanity. So you know, it's it's good to uh, expand your horizons. You know, to kind of kind of see more of the galaxy. You know, uh, and uh, but here, are you? Uh, have you got your bags packed? Are you ready for the trip to Earth? You know, I hope you remember to bring your uh, remember to bring your passport and mm-hmm. your ticket and your Earth cold shawl. Yeah, um, you know, I had to pick up a new one because you know I just wore my last one so much that it just fell apart. Uh, yeah, no, I totally get you, man. Like it's 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 it, it's not only a a, a defining you know a, a presentation of your faith, but you know they're also very comfortable and I think uh, quite fashionable as well. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you know, if I if, if I learned anything from the undefeated of the East, Master Asia, it's that having a scarf uh, is pretty useful. It's a powerful I, tool. In case I get into a pinch, you know. Yes, indeed, indeed. You know, it's a. Uh, if only the uh, Earth cult members in uh, this week's episodes had remembered to use their scarves in combat, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe things would have gone slightly different for yeah, them. Yeah, maybe. But uh, I digress. Um, we're getting right back into gear. Yeah, you know? season three. Season three, my guys. Well, we are officially over halfway. Yeah, we are now o- officially over 50% through Legend of the Galactic Heroes, the legendary 1988 right. science fiction OVA. Uh-huh. And uh what do you know? Uh we have an interesting trio of an episode uh uh-huh. episode for us to discuss I here. I think these like trans- transitionary episodes are some of my favorites in the series because it's always like okay, we've wrapped up a bunch of crazy stuff and we've kind of established a new status quo and so What's the show going to be about now for the next, you know, like nine right. episodes? Now what? Right. What is the new status quo? And, uh, you know, we're going to have to probably just jump right into it because yeah. uh, a, lot of, a lot of shit going um, on in these three episodes yeah. we're discussing this week. If episode 55, after the ceremony, the curtain rises again. Episode 56, to Earth. And episode 57, the Kunmel incident. Yes. Yes. The... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't remember. I, I forgot that was the name of that episode. Coonbell incident. That is certainly a way to describe that. Uh, but yeah, before we do that, we need to get into episode fifty-five. So uh, yeah, uh, we open up with a new opening. Yeah. Oh, whoops. You mean the opening of our podcast? <laughs> uh, so full disclosure, when I picked the uh, the opening, uh, you know, the opening little ditty for our podcast, I was just kind of going through the um, the Legend of Galactic Heroes soundtrack that I had and just trying to find like something that, you know, Sound sounded like good. Intro. <laughs> yeah, sounded like a good intro that also kind of evoked the theme of, you know, the sea of stars and high-flying space adventures. And turns out I ended up picking the third opening of the OVA. So. All right. Yeah, Sea of the Stars. Uh Yeah. The first lyrics being no need for crying. Uh, 
Maybe something we should keep in mind as the show progresses. Yeah, yeah. We are also introduced to a long-haired Reinhardt. Yeah, there he officially. is. Uh, he's got some new digs, too. You know, he's got a new fit. Yeah. Um, can't, we can't do uh, name everyone in the OP this time, because it's just Reinhardt. Yeah, it's kind of and- notable. They <laughs> yeah. kind of shoot out everybody else that are like... It's like it's like it's like Legend of the Galactic Heroes finally finally acknowledged. Okay, fine. There are actually only two characters that matter in this show, and we're gonna put them both in the opening. Yep. Um, uh, Reinhardt, Von Longram, and Yang Wenli. Except Yang Wenli, where are you going? Why are you walking away like that? I don't. Yeah, he's uh, going home to to his wife because he's retired. Are we sure he's walking home? I, I don't like that look he get, he's given us at the end of that, uh, that OP. Oh, boy. But, well, if we want to talk about, you know, fucking uh, menacing uh, uh, sequences, we'll talk about the ED at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah. So but, uh, uh, we, we now, open up on uh, Kaiser officially being crowned. Uh, Reinhardt is officially being crowned the Kaiser. Yes. Sieg my Kaiser, as yeah. the kids say. <laughs> Sieg neue Reich. Oh boy, right. Yes. Uh, with that, they introduced the, uh, what is it, the NRC uh, calendar? Right, the new Reich calendar. The new Reich calendar. In case somehow you made it to episode 55 of Legend of the Galactic Heroes and you were not, uh, <laughs> you were not aware of the obvious cultural uh, inspirations for the, Galac- the, the, the Galactic Empire in, in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, they kind of spell it out for you. Yeah, right here for you guys. It's yeah. Kaiser Reinhard von Lohengram of the New Reich Calendar. <laughs> it's uh, yep. it's pretty on the nose Look, here. We're spent fifty episodes, like if you know by now, right? Yes, yes, you know, yes. Yeah, but, and, uh, uh, so we have Reinhard kind of a uh, swearing in a bunch of uh, or not? Uh, is it no, a bunch of people, or is it just um? We got a party. He's at, yes, it's a party. Yes, a party a new for his coronation, you know. And they, yeah, yeah, I thought there was no more parties allowed at New San Sushi, but uh, yeah, but uh, but we're having one because because yes. it's the new uh, it's a new administration. Parties are allowed again. But I uh, mean, I think it's more. You know, I think I think it's probably one of those situations where Reinhard's like. You know, oh, fine. If you must, you right. know, I don't. But I, we do. But we do see, uh, and are told. We are both told, and we see that it's a relatively modest celebration yes. for such a momentous occasion. Uh, because Hilda's father, Franz von Mariendorf, uh, yes, the elder Mariendorf, is now a Secretary of State, and yes. uh, thought kind that of... Reinhard would prefer a, uh, you know, less lavish celebration. Yeah, I mean, he guessed right, I think. Yeah. You know, and it's it's kind of interesting. Like, we haven't seen a lot of, you know, the elder Mariendorf, but I think it's, I mean, again, I, I, you know, again, I, uh, I'm i not I'm not making any judgment on that dude's uh, personal character or capacity or competence, but I think in many ways it is very telling that it is Hilda's father who is being given this very... Uh, very high prestige position. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. You know, obviously, right. you know, the show is probably going to show us, like, what are his capacities as a statesman. But for all of Reinhardt's talk of, like, this is a meritocracy, like, the, right. I, I'm going to run things differently, I think it's very telling. Oh, Hilda's dad is now holding right. the highest position uh, short of, you know, Reinhardt himself. Well, once uh, later this episode where he starts getting to his cabinet and other stuff, we can talk more about that. Yes, yes. 
But uh, but yeah, so you know they're just kind of chilling, talking, and you know of course uh, you know Hulk getting to the top comes to uh, speak to her father, and uh, yeah, yeah, he basically comments that uh, she's not like other ladies. No, no, she's not like the other girls. You know, <laughs> she's not into jewelry and dresses and horse racing. <laughs> uh, you know. And, you know, I think I think uh, Hilda gives a pretty good explanation of like, yeah, you know, well, look, like if I don't <laughs> there need, are people who yeah. are experts at that sort of stuff, you know, I don't need I don't need to know about any of that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but uh, hey, it's her her interests have brought her far in the world. Yeah, indeed, they have. They have. I mean, uh, let's not forget that, like. The very status quo we existed now is almost <laughs> single-handedly yeah. single-handedly carried on the back of Hilda von Mariendorf. So, uh, yeah, about uh, better and worse. And her father says that uh, you know, old sickly Heinrich Kuhnmull, uh couldn't couldn't make it to the coronation, but uh, right, uh, love it. He'd just love it if Reinhard would come visit him. It would he be really such wanted to honor. see her. Yes, yes, and you know so. As we all remembered uh, from last season, they mentioned that yes, the the Kuhnmail card is still in play. You know, <laughs> Twitch and, longer, uh, but uh, you know, hey, long enough. And yeah. um, with that taken care of, yeah. with the party out of the way, we uh, yeah, with the ceremony one over with, we head over to ceremony A uh, on Heinesen, where uh, Yangwen Lee is preparing for his wedding. Yes, yes, and. Uh, you know, we kind of have a great bit here where just fucking everybody from, you know, Julian and uh, Castle do just everybody fucking giving uh, Yang Wenli, you know, metric tons yeah. of shit. Like, uh, I don't I don't like wearing stuffy suits. And well, you're the one who decided the dress code for your own wedding. Right. It's like you're like, the one who waited until after you left the military. Right. So you can't wear <laughs> yeah. your, you know, your military gear or yeah, your military uniform now, Yang Wenli. Yeah. Your own fault. Yeah, but, you know, they do kind of mention that, you know, they do have a brief aside where they're like, well, yeah, I couldn't throw the wedding while I was still in the military because then I'd have to invite a lot of people. Right. Like, officials. Not, you know, not, you know, like, Yang Wen Li is like, well, he's... probably have to invite Job Trunick. Yeah, well, you know, he's over in Odin, but you'd probably be, you know, out of obligation, you'd probably have to send that, in, you'd probably have to send that invitation, and fucking nobody wants to do that. But, uh, and yeah, and uh, so they walk down the aisle. Young Lee's hair is slicked back. It doesn't look right. It doesn't look it's, right at all. It, it's very wrong to see him without either a hat or his regular hair. It's it's very distressing. Uh, but you know, it's it's a nice little event. You know, you know, it's it's nice to see Young Lee earn a a smidgen of personal happiness yeah. in the otherwise you a know bit of fucking, respite you know, fucking wrathful quagmire that is his life, so. Uh, yeah, and uh, they have a nice wedding reception at the restaurant Marked Rabbit. The same damn restaurant fucking yeah. that they go Although, to every time. I think, no, I think uh, this, they started going to this one relatively recently because there was the one they used to go to oh, until right. they started fucking singing the FPA anthem. Right, you are correct, you are correct. <laughs> Uh, and so we we get to continue to watch fucking like what does Shenkop say? Shenkop Shen, fucking gives Yangwen Lee the burn uh, of all burns Shen here. Says you've you've only just broken out of the jail called the military, but now you're just willingly entering the jail called marriage. 
look, it's a very Shenkop line. Uh, like we, yeah. we love Shenkop, but Shenkop, you know, look, these Shenkop Royenthal comparisons are not unwarranted. They are those are men cut from the same cloth, you know, like yep. I would never say, you know, Shenkop pumps and dumps, you know, that's more <laughs> Poplin style, I think. But you know uh. y- you know, Shenkop is not the kind of dude who's gonna settle down, so of course he's gonna fucking jab Yang with that. Yeah, but, uh, sitting with all the boys and they're all giving them shit. Which is, you know, look, I love these moments because it's just those. Like it really, you know, I think we've talked about this. You know, we talked about this a lot in the past, back when this was kind of a novel comparison. But I think it's still notable now. Like, compare the two celebrations that are being held this episode between Reinhardt's and Youngs. Like Reinhardt has to maintain the facade. He has to maintain that buttoned up, like, like this is who I am. I, you know, I, I, I am. I am Reinhard. I am Kaiser Reinhard. You know, I am the. Well done, you know, my subjects. Yes, exactly. He has to be the golden emperor of this galaxy. You know, space-spanning empire. Whereas, like when Yang celebrates, he's fucking just Here, you know, drinking with my friends, and they're all drink- telling me that I'm an idiot, right? And, sh- <laughs> and that I'm not good enough for my wife, and <laughs> right, right. Like one of them, I forget who says, like you know, fucking, like. You know, fucking poor Frederica, like somehow I was, fucking. I think I was dusty. Yeah, got tricked into falling in love with Yang Wenli. <laughs> uh, Which you know. Yep, and Julian, you know, having well and truly lost the battle for Frederica's heart. I, let's be real. <laughs> I don't think he was <laughs> the battle to begin with. He, he never had a chance of that battle to begin with. Like he, that was he was not even. This was not even like Bukok at the Battle of true. You know, whatever his, uh, his unrequited crush. Yes, truly, cru- truly crushed. Yes, uh, and is gonna dr- yeah, gonna you know, he's gonna drown his sorrows in uh, on on a trip to Earth. Apparently, yeah, so. often the undutiness because we Kazalnu uh, f- f- fixed some numbers and got a, got Captain uh, Boris Cohen of a new ship because yes. his old ship got blown up. You know, it it happens. Yep. But, uh, uh, on a, the undutiness with a buddy Louis Pashengo. Yes. Um, and uh, they get pulled over by the cops in space. Yes, the space empire, space cops show up once more. Uh, they decide to play it cool this time. They're not just going to commandeer another empire ship. Um, yeah. Get some, get some fucking empire creep who's like, oh, yeah. You carrying any pretty ladies on this right, ship? Right, this like young-looking Imperial Inspector guy. Yeah, it's just like, hey, I got cute ladies to on this ship that I guess we could just take. I don't know what this guy's deal is. I mean, I think it's that it's that inherent reminder that there is this power dynamic. Yeah. Like, you know, like for all Reinhardt speaks of, oh, my new empire is going to be a just and fair place. In all likelihood. If this em- if this empire like fucking traffic cop, galaxy, Ooh, like, if he decided to like actually swing his power around, like what could they do? There's nothing they could do. Like like this dude could literally have had the entire crew of that ship executed, and realistically, Reinhard would never know. Like, like right, he yeah. is but one man, and an empire is a big place. As like, Boris Konov says, like I I don't know what the people up high think or whatever, but. Not all of the people at the bottom rung like know where to draw the line. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and like because that is you know that is the inherent nature of an organization that large. And like, I'm glad you know, this like, show gets into that because 
it would be it's easy to say now the Reinhardt's power everything's fine everything's right. wonderful would, and great it, it would very easy it would be very easy to write a version of Reinhardt's empire where because Reinhardt himself is good somehow that magically makes, makes the rest everything of everything else good yeah his empire good Fisher, but Fisher as, king doesn't happen in reality exactly exactly yeah and um let's see here but uh, before they go to Earth, there is yeah. a uh, Reinhardt's or, or uh, meeting. Later. Reinhardt's meeting with a dude named Silverbear, who's yeah. just this salt snake-looking motherfucker. Uh, yes, this kind of scruffy-looking minor noble person, I guess. Right. Uh, and basically, ask him what's important for uh, Mister Industry. I think it was that was the position. Um, and just like. Seems satisfied with Silver Birch's answers because immediately appoints him to be the Minister of Industry. Yes. And the guy just like, uh, yeah, okay. Whatever you say, sir. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, Reinhardt's pay- playing it uh, fast and loose. You know, he's uh, yeah. he's not, he's not, he doesn't care about, you know, it, it, I guess we're meant to do to, to get from this scene is, uh, you know, he, uh, He's not particularly concerned with like, you know, uh, you know, legacies or names, you know, he is more mm-hmm. like he is trying to find, you know, who are theoretically the best men for the jobs that are now needed in this uh, right. theoretical peacetime. Like, I think Solververse is meant to appear as like competent. I assume so. Anyway, um, I mean, we don't really know yet. Like, we we yeah. know his answer to uh, what he believes makes for a good uh, minister, you know, uh, minister, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. But uh, the thing that I think is actually more notable here is uh, Reinhard's plan to uh, move the capital of the empire to Fizan. Which, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense if you actually want to, you know, if you actually really know the galaxy as a whole body. Um, because Fazan's the center, um, yes. and it's it was basically the economic center of the galaxy already. Yes, and in this you know future new world order that you know Reinhardt has created, it makes sense to rule from there. You know, and and you yeah. know, and, and I wonder how much of that is also like, I wonder how much of that is also keeping a tighter grip on Fazan, and I guess as a mm-hmm. result, also keeping a tighter grip on. Um, uh, the FPA territory. Right. Uh, the narrator, the narration says that him moving the uh, capital to Vazan is as good as saying, I will dismantle the FPA eventually completely. Yes. Yes. That, uh, you know, the FPA, you know, is, uh, technically it, exists in a form right now, but that, that too will change if, you know, if things don't, if things don't stop that soon, you know? <laughs> yep. Uh, and speaking of uh, things potentially stopping that, we're off uh, the undutiness, you know, makes a stop at the uh, abandoned Dion Han supply base to meet with the Mercat fleet. Yes, yes. Who have uh, basically stationed, stationed themselves here in their, uh, you know, their, their titular Sherwood forest, you know? Yeah. This is their, is their place of hiding. We uh, meet with uh, Poplin. Yeah. And uh, amongst a few others. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Yeah, Mercats. And, you know, they talk about their uh, future plans for the Sherwood fleet. Like Yes. You know, the idea is that 
Um, the idea here is that uh, not only has Julian stopped here, you know, just to you know say hello, but it's more that uh, to kind of relay what are Yang's plans. You know, like right. despite the fact that Yang is quietly enjoying his retirement right now, he is still. He is still the taskmaster of this rebellion, and he has informed Murkatz that uh, uh, right. I don't know what he said. Time one, what was the timeline? Like it was like a, in a few weeks. Yes, um, that according because of the, the new- yeah, because according to the treaty, and the alliance must demilitarize itself, and so they're carting um, eighteen hundred ships to a sector to blow them up, scrap them. Yes. That these ships will be essentially, you know, on paper taken off the list. Mm-hmm. But if someone were to intercept that scrapping and uh, commandeer those ships, you yeah. know, that would uh, be quite the boon for yeah, what is currently a, a very small fleet. And uh, Julian does get a bit of, uh, he sweats a little here because he says to himself, like, yeah, Yang, Yang gave us plans. I'm sure he doesn't intend to be a hermit for the rest of his life. Right? Right? Probably? Hopefully. Hmm. <laughs> and so, uh... I mean, I think Yang Wenli will step back up to the plate when he's truly needed, but the question yes. is always there. Uh, yes. Oh, if that's what you were asking. Uh, yes, then I think... I mean, I think there's a version of this where, you know, if Yang had it his way, he would never step in command of a ship ever again. (laughs) There's there's probably a part of him that's hoping that this rebellion goes off in such a way that, you know, he can just direct it from the sidelines. But realistically, you know, we will probably see Yang Wenli taking command of a ship once more. But uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, he says that kind of say that this is a long game. Yes, he said it'll take around five or six years for young plans to really yes i mean you know this kind of makes sense you know he is building up a rebellion and if he wants to build up one that is you know that can elude the empire's notice it's uh it is a going to take some time and b it is going to have to go you know very gradually yeah you know like because even you know because even if you know they're capture the ships from that scheduled you know scrapping still in 2000 ships well, yeah, like, that's about almost. 2,000 ships against the, you know, mostly completely unharmed Empire fleet, you know, that, uh, yep. like, you know, like, let's remember, like, at the Battle of Vermilion, yes, Reinhardt's fleet took a fucking beating, right? It was like, what, 85% Yeah, but the, but the Royenthal fleet and the Mittermeier fleet and the uh, Benfield the fleet. fleet and the Wallen fleet and the fucking, every other fleet, and the Black Lancers, every other fleet, A-OK. So, yep. Uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to imagine that those fleets were divided up like, like literally, you know, numerically equally, that means like roughly ninety percent of the rest of the Empire fleet is still there. Yeah, so it's uh, it's so an uphill. It's time to buy our time. There's a really interesting scene between uh, Juan Lewis and Juan Lobello talking about um, like because they're still politicians in uh, the FPA under the sure. Empire. And they're pretty much arguing, like Juan Lewis is saying, like, we can't ban or like we we need to uh, we need to fight for the ideals of democracy. Like we can't just roll over completely against the empire um, because it's like then we would lose, you know, the the spirit of our 
of our ideals. But Lobello is saying that because they're, you know, vampires got a gun to their head, basically, we need to bide our time and give them no excuses to take us apart and, you know, slowly, uh, re- you know, wait for an opportunity. And so that's. I was interested by the scene because Lobello is the one, is like the cynic who keeps saying, what if Yang, you know, he, he was the one who kept saying, what if Yang Lee decides to take power and, you know, ruin the FPA with totalitarian rule? Whereas Lewis was the one saying, that'll never happen. Um, and so I just wonder if, like, that's the, uh, if this scene is meant to be Lobello starting to just, like, if it's meant to prove that like his ideals aren't strong enough to truly carry on democracy or what. That's, that's an interesting reading. I uh, hadn't considered that. Um, because like, he, he, really he's been the it. character that's like, even though he's the cynical one, he has also always carried the torch of democracy in his heart, but it's a bad know. situation. I don't really see it like that. I think that I think uh, Lobello is just being smart here. He's being yeah. pragmatic. Like, you know, of course, he. I think, you know, because I think we've been repeatedly shown that Lobello very much strongly believes in the ideals of democracy. Right. It's just that, like, you know, when you have a gun pointed at you, like you have to think about your actions and what you say, like, you know, being idealistic and being principled is all well and good, but it's not really worth anything if it gets you killed. And uh, I think that he, he is in the right here where he says we got to bide our time. And I don't think that's a compromise. I don't think that's like morally compromising right. him or making him a hypocrite. I think yeah. that's just... I mean, I would agree with you. I'm just cu- curious as to where if the show is going to go anywhere with that. I, like, that again, these two I, characters are still showing up occasionally, you know? Of course, of course. But I mean... I guess I don't see it because I don't think I, I really don't I don't really get this idea that Labello ever truly feared that Yang Wen Lee was going to become a dictator. I think that he was he, was, like, he was playing the Murai. Yes, I think Labello has always just mentioned that as a as rhetoric, as a rhetorical like musing, like like you know he is just bringing that up as the possibility that yes, anybody can be corrupted by power. You know anybody you know you know, with enough power and not enough checks and balances can, you know, be subsumed by, you know, by tyranny. But I don't think he actually, like, he is not part of the FPA government that was actually afraid of Yang, you know, um, orchestrating a coup against the FPA. Right. Like, I don't think that was ever, I don't think that was ever in the cards for him. And uh, He's just the I type of guy who will say, we need to prepare for such an eventuality. Yes, you know, it's just that, hey, with the, of course we should consider it. Of course we should talk about it, but I don't think you ever, like, seriously consider that as a reality. So I don't really see that to be necessarily contradictory yeah. with the views that he has espoused in this episode. And I will agree with you. I'm just bringing, bringing up the... Sure, sure, that's, that's totally worth... Hey, it's totally worth talking about. Yeah, but uh, uh, again, finally, let's get this boring out of this stuff out of the way because now Julian meets a hot chick. Yeah, he's uh, he's hanging out with Poplin, and Poplin's like, "I'm gonna go with you to Earth because I am sick of this goddamn station. I'm fucking there, bored. No ladies here, right? I, I need. I, I can't. I can't just bang any any biological female. I need a wonderful, mature woman. 
Yes, yes. And, <laughs> I mean, whatever. Hey, that's Poplin, man. And like, let's be real. Like, what what is Poplin best at? He's best at piloting a starship. You know, he's a hotshot ace pilot. Uh-huh. I, realistically, how much ace piloting is he going to be doing in the next five, six years? You know, just because of the nature of, like, the way they are building up their rebellion. So, yeah. of course, you know, hey, he's taking a quick vacation. He's, he's yeah, coming sure. to Earth. You know, with uh, with Julian Mashengo, but before he does that, he's like, yeah, "Hey, you know, by the way, you know, I want you to, your I want to, you to uh, I want to introduce you to uh, somebody who's uh, joined with us here at the, uh, yeah. the Sherwood Forest. The Corporal Cruiser here might one day become a second Ivan Konev, if not a second Oliver Poplin. They're an ace pilot, I guess. Uh, she whips off her helmet, and it's a beautiful lady." Hell yeah. Red hair, etc. We get the full on like sparkles and Julian's eyes grow wide. Julian is just fucking awestruck. Yes. Yeah. Fucking, if, if this were a Warner Brothers cartoon, his uh, his jaw would hit the floor right now. The heart would shoot out of his chest. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, clearly smitten by a, by a new character. Yeah. Corporal Cateros Von Cruiser. Yes. Uh, Karin for short. Yes. And she kind of introduced herself as, you know, hey, look, I've I'm I've a, been I'm waiting. No nonsense for... pilot. Yes, yes. Kind of making the making the the flowers of Izalon a reality. <laughs> back after this, we watched this episode, I went back and listened listen to parts of that podcast. The yes. first fucking thing you say is, "What if there's a tomboy pilot who secretly likes girly stuff?" Hell yeah! I'm telling you, man. I'm a I'm 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 a fucking prophet. Uh-huh. You know, uh, look. We're gonna put that tally. You also were like, "No way, Julian would be into Frederick." <laughs> I never said it that strongly. Look, I'm just saying that we're gonna put we're gonna put tally marks for uh, correctly guessing guess uh, uh, events in this show. I'm putting that one in my my side of the chalkboard. All right, yeah, I, I, I yeah, no, totally, uh, totally, yeah, <laughs> confirmed. And, you know, and hey, you know what? Hey, I, I'm glad we finally got a character like this because, like, I, I do, I have enjoyed every female character that has shown up in this show so yeah. far. Yes, but they've always kind of been background, uh, more secondary. Secondary backgrounds well, unfair. Secondary. Yeah. They're, they're, they've been less active, right? Like, they've they have helped the people in charge. And I'm not going to say that Karen is necessarily going to be either a a main character or b even really you know realistically do that much in this show. But like, you know, finally getting a, a character who's like just a at least looks so far, it looks just like a, a competent badass pilot. Uh-huh. And but, uh, uh yeah, Poplin says he's not has not laid a finger on her because he's not into 15-year-olds. Yeah, and hey, look, uh, Poplin's got standards. Question mark. But so he uh, says that women and wine both need time to mature. Uh and also like when Yulian's like, I don't have I don't have time to, you know, hit on ladies. Poplin just lays into him and he's like, if she's not noticing you, you need to make her notice you. Find the time. Like, yes. don't waste don't waste yourself. Basically. Poplin giving some uh, look, for as much shit as we love to give Poplin, Poplin also is low-key, like maybe one of the most like <laughs> observant characters yeah, in yeah. the show. Like tells like it is. And I would say that I, I would say his his advice has like at least a like a point seven batting average. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we do get a good bit here where Karen is kind of like that's Julian Minchie. Like, this man, that's I've heard people. so much about. 
Right. He like, seems like such a wimp. Yeah, like, dude seems kind of like a Soft. fucking loser. And it's like, you know, I get it. I get it. If you don't know, if you don't know Julian, if you don't see what he's done, if you yeah. haven't seen Julian pull out a gun, like uh, <laughs> on Dashu or something, like you probably would think Julian's kind of soft. He looks soft. Yeah. You know, it's, it's only that uh, our knowledge of him tells us that actually, right. no, Julian doesn't fuck around. So they also bring up that uh, Julian thinks to himself, have I seen her somewhere before? Which is basically saying, I've seen her somewhere before uh, on a narrative level. <laughs> and also uh, they bring up that her name sounds like it's from the Empire, but she refuses to talk about her family. And so, I don't know, somehow something might be up with that. For the record, you also said about Flowers of Ease Alone, what if there's a girl who's an Imperial spy, but falls for Yulian's annual magnetism? Yes, yes. So, you know, hey, I'm, maybe you're two for two. I already put that tally mark in my on, on my side of the chalkboard as well, should that come to pass. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if nothing else, it leaves enough interesting... I think, as always, Legend of Galactic Heroes continues to do the thing where it effectively leaves just enough plot threads lying around that for now we don't need to address them. For now, Karen is not necessarily a primary or important character to the current narrative. But well, there remember been, this. There have been enough threads laid down by her character that, you know, one day uh, the plot will return to her and they will address the things that they have, the foundations they have laid here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's always kind of Something, just the really excellent yeah. thing about this show. And, you know, again, like what season three or what like all the openings of Legend of the Galactic Heroes have done is kind of uh, laid down the foundations of what are going to be the primary story beats of the next season. Yeah. And uh, we end off episode 55 with Mercats looking into the stars and saying, uh, we better get those ships. And,. The sun will not rise for me in the coming days, but for a younger man. <laughs> yeah. Schneider's like, do you mean young Wen Lee? And Mercat's not, ha- does not have an answer for this. Yes. It's kind of, I think, I mean, look, <clears throat> I don't think anybody fucking thought Mercat's was going to survive this show. But I'm I think frankly that- surprised he made it this far. <laughs> Yeah, considering they didn't show episode yeah, one for random Admiral Man in episode one, who's hanging yeah. out, fucking, who would have guessed he would have been one of the most important characters that showed up in that episode? I mean, we should have known because we went back and watched the DNT opening, uh, and he's just in the opening. Yeah, Murkass is just right there. Not and that I, we knew who the fuck he was at the time, well, of but not, of course not. And I guess that blonde dude behind him was Schneider. <laughs> yeah, sure. Kind of wild compared to you know OVA version of Schneider, right? But, uh, yeah, kind of, if nothing else, it's kind of Mercat saying, hey, I've sealed my fate. Like, you know, I will... Make my choice. I will I will get Yang that fleet or die trying. And my fear is that it might be the latter. Mm-hmm. But uh, we will see. Yeah, it's episode 55. Uh, <clears throat> and we were all right back in that. We were all right in episode 56, which... Uh, Seeing the first two, first like minute of the show, I got real excited because Julian sits down at his desk. He's like, "Gosh, I wonder what the deal with Earth is. I hear it's the birthplace of humanity. Uh, I guess I should revisit what revisit history of Earth." Yep, puts in another. I'm like, "Oh yeah," and I'm like, "Oh no, not another one of these episodes." I mean, you know. uh, Yup. Because uh, there is a lot to go for the, through. For the really heavy shit. 
Yes. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we already spent 36 minutes on the first episode, uh, and there is no Guess way we're going we're, along. There is no way we are spending less time on this one. <laughs> nice going, Hero. Um, yeah, we did it. I told um, you to try and keep that first section short. Oh, whatever. But uh, yeah, so we are treated to another uh, documentary episode yeah. where we're kind of learning about the history of uh, hmm. of Earth. Yeah, uh, I guess are, twenty. I guess twenty years from now, in twenty thirty nine, uh, we will have the entire planet will have split into two factions: the Northern Condominion and the United States of Euro Africa. <laughs> yes, yes, and what happens from there is what is known eventually as the Thirteen Day War. Right. In this which, was, uh, this was mentioned in the other. In the other uh, history episode. Yes, yes. And, you know, basically where thermonuclear weapons were used, uh, you know, leading to, uh, as they say, nearly 100 years of conflict and chaos, leading to mankind's population falling to 1 billion. You know, after uh, a century of killing each other, the United Government of Earth is born in 2129. And you think to yourself, thank goodness, we can (laughs) finally start fixing things. I like but how no. well, I like how it takes the like almost complete destruction of the human race for people to actually start agreeing with each other. Just, uh, so, know, we, that, just so we stop dying. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. You're and right. That doesn't surprise uh, me at all. But it's like, and, oh, and, and a move that in a move that uh, the uh, the Earth Federation of the Gundam universe would highly recommend <laughs> against. Uh, the United G- Government of Earth decides to build their capital in Brisbane, Australia. I mean, it's uh, far from Sydney. It's fine. Anybody uh, familiar with Australia and the Gundam universe probably knows this is a terrible place to put look, anything. It's, it's pretty far from Sydney. You know, uh, but, Australia's big. You know, look, uh, at least nobody dropped a colony in in, in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. as you know, they're, you know, they're slowly, you know, rebuilding, you know, their civilization at the same time. Yeah, we find building out space time, spaces. Yes, they are developing space colonization, you know, leading to the creation of Lunar City. Right. Uh, they talk about how, uh, while Brisbane is the technically the capital of, you know, the human race at, at this moment, um, Lunar City that they built, you know, because... <clears throat> the space race is heating up, and Lunar City has a population greater than Brisbane. Yes, yes. So, like, we begin to already, the solar system. Yes, we begin to already see the kind of the, you know, the the beginning, uh, the early seedings of the of what would become, you know, eventually the conflict that kind of dominates, you know, the history of Earth leading up to Legend of Galactic Heroes. Um, yeah. So warp travel is discovered in the 2300s. Yeah. And in 2400, a new habitable planet is found. Um, so they they specifically note that <clears throat> like warp travel had poor effects on the human body, especially female fecundity. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which is, uh, an interesting uh, phrase. Phrasing. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's it's the fabric of the setting, I suppose. Yeah. But, uh, you know, naturally, you know, as again, as anybody who has, you know, watched Mobile Suit Gundam, the Earth government debated over the amount of autonomy to grant, you know, the uh, the emigrants to yeah. the, new, uh, the new frontier. And uh, before we get to that, then Poplin shows up. <laughs> oh, hey, what you watching? You watching uh, porn? 
Any, oh, it's just the history of Earth. Well, has it got any money shots? Yeah, but uh, I think I think, <laughs> I think it's very telling though that as, as much as Poplin is also like fucking time. Oh man, I hope you're watching porn. I hope you got the money shot. Maybe if that, he showed up in the previous documentary episode. That also, despite saying all of that, Poplin also decides to just sit down and watch because yeah, he still like, sticks around. Fuck it, I got nothing better to do than watch the downfall of humanity. Yes, but uh, yeah. So uh, eventually, uh, in uh, the, I think I see here, twenty four eighty four, the space force is formed. <laughs> you know, they're uh, you know formed yeah. to kind of police the new frontier of space. You know, and protect. Uh, was it like protect? You know, trade lines and you know just right. uh, generally. And uh, the makes they make the a historian makes a note that um, they claimed to be different from the space force before the 13 day war, which was really a little more than like orbital bombardment threats. Uh, like, yes, yes. Why big brother watching from space. Right. But in some ways it sets perhaps something of a precedent. Yeah. Um, like as much as your military exists to a uh, quote unquote, maintain public order. Uh, a historian here says that the people of this era had forgotten that every army in history while they say they while they say they stand for defensive peace, can also go on bad offensives. Right. They basically say that you know never forget that the army is the primary and largest tool of violence that a nation possesses. You know, and that how that tool is used can often lead to some truly catastrophic things. Yeah, and uh, a country that's united all of humanity has no enemies outside yes. of itself. So. I, I wonder about this aspect because I think I think the statement they're making here is less that oh without enemies humanity naturally grows you know decadent and weak. No, but they, I think what they're no, saying what here they're saying is, is you don't need a big military if everyone's united. Yes, yes. Thank you for for getting to that point for me. The idea that they're stating here is that the the mistake that the Earth government actually makes is not maintaining a is not you know having no enemies it's allowing the space force to grow as large and corrupt and loaded of an organization as it does in their timeline yeah you know they talk about here in the documentary that you know basically corruption and hoarding of power and resource amongst the you know the higher ups in the space force becomes rampant talk about a specific uh expose about uh captain arnold bach of the dixieland and how his like his incredibly luxurious officers quarters are the same size as the barracks for everyone else yes how he is like six private maids or some shit right like his own chef and all this stuff it's and of course, they mentioned the documentary. You know, mentions that mentions that. Of course, this this report had no effect on the politics because that dude was quickly shut down for his. Yeah, uh, there's lots of lobbyists for military because you know yeah, get all yeah. And and they mentioned what I think is a really excellent part here because I think it would be very easy to just say, and then they became bad and corrupt, but they actually mentioned a very real, very tangible uh, cause for this, and that is that. Eventually, the Earth government runs out of influenceable uh, light space. They talk about how, like, in the early years, like, warp travel and the development of technology would allow them to expand the Empire's uh, right. reachable space like, by, like, 
10, 20 light years every time. Right. Potentially. By the end of it, yeah. Potentially, you know, I, like if you're experiencing rapid growth, then it makes sense to have growth of the military branch to maintain control of that. But as your growth like slows, it's not good to have more military growth. Right. So basically what happens in the documentary they show is that the the influenceable light space reach begins to slow down with every passing, you know, cycle of the technology, you know, just likely humanity reaching the kind of plateau of what it can achieve. However, the Space Force, you know, like budget basically continues to bloat at the same rate as it started, you know, and I think I think this is a really good, very like realistic uh, way of showing how a, an organization can become corrupt, you know it. Uh, right, because I think it's very easy to. I think it's very easy to pin uh, the the fall of a nation to a moral failing. That oh, the people became bad. They stopped believing in God. You know, like these kind of very like very like judgmental, moralistic. Right. You know, but these like, things do happen for reasons. Yes. Yes. Like, this situation was entirely avoidable had the other Earth government, you know, basically, you know, adjusted funding relative to the expansion of the empire or the right. uh, the government. But yeah. they did not. And yeah, I mean, you know, Paul, I'm sure politicians got paid a lot of money by the lobbyists to uh, keep the military going. And like this has a knock on effect because then we find out that the Earth economy is basically falling apart because with the growing budget of the space force, the Earth government, which has, you know, no access to like any kind of natural like industry or manufacturing anymore. Right. Because because uh, <laughs> wars and time passing has right, just, you know, depleted yeah, but, resources on Earth. Right. We find out that the Earth government's primary you know force of income is economic. You know, they are kind of the you know the Wall Street of the galaxy. Yeah, just but eventually yeah. this turns into an exploitative system where the Earth government is basically sucking the wealth out of the colonies, you know, and not really giving anything back in return. You know, like in a in a globalized society, these kinds of institutions are theoretically acceptable. Right. It is fine to have cities that don't really contribute any kind of tangible goods, but instead contribute, you know, political capital and, you know, economic, you know, economic institutions. But in a situation like the Earth government where they are no longer even providing that much. Right. You kind of have a situation that the documentary shows where eventually the colonies begin to say, hey. It's Wait like, a minute, y'all! Colonialism, <laughs> right back again, right? You know, like, yes, yes, and so uh, you know, colonies basically realize that they have zero political agency. Right, and, uh, it was noted that uh, even though the uh, population of the colonies is like vastly larger than that of just Earth, the par- parliament is still seventy percent Earth people yes. only. So, you know, we kind of have a great bid here where, like, the colonies at first start, like, being like, hey, isn't this kind of fucked up? And uh, I forget the name, but uh, basically the, the the head of the, the speaker of the house of the Earth government right. basically gets up to the mic and says that uh, y'all are just entitled. Like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're poor because it's your own fault. Uh, you should right. pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, get rich like the rest of us did, working very hard. Uh how and, dare you say that's our fault? Uh, you just don't lack. You just you all just lack ambition. You're just not working hard enough. Just and it's so rights of fucking real shit. Yeah, and this is around, this is around the part of the episode. Holy shit! You can realize that uh, uh, Yoshiki Tanaka, uh, 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 Tanaka has 
a very specific, like, he is going for a very specific narrative thrust here. Like, you know, there's always, we will get to this at the end of this episode, you know, but there's always this idea of the concept of applicability versus allegory in fiction. Right. It's a pretty you know, blurry line, I think. Um, but on the whole, I would say Legend of Galactic Heroes trades in applicability most yes. of the time. Uh, and, you know, I think that, again, I would never ever say that, like, this documentary is meant to be an allegory for our own politics, but it's more that the events that happen in this episode very much speak to the very real politics and the very real rhetoric that exists right. in I mean, in, uh, any time in, much- in any time and any age, the deeds of men remain the same. Right. This, I mean, there's this a, is the thrust of this show. Exactly. Like, there is a very specific line in this documentary that says that in the name of capitalism, Earth continue to plunder the colonies. You know, like they're not making it. You know, they're not making any bones about it. They're not being coy here to be like, oh, because of the you know, quote unquote, greedy politicians. No, they say this is capitalism. This is capitalism in action. Like, yep. You know, I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, capitalism is 100% bad, but this is ca- this is well, this is what unchecked capitalism looks like. Without any like oversight, without any, you know, without any regulation, this is what happens. And uh yeah. So the colonies kind of band together and they said, well, okay, let's try to present Earth with an ultimatum. In uh 2682, they have a a three-part ultimatum. You know, the first is um to kind of pare back the overgrown military, you know, reduce military spending. Uh, the second is that they want seats in Congress uh, representative of the, uh, the actual population. Yep. And More gerrymandering. Finally, uh, yes, and finally, they want, uh, they ask, demand that uh, they say specifically, <laughs> capitalism must stop all interference with the internal affairs of the colonies. And, uh, so naturally, Earth responds by accusing the colonies of trying to overthrow Earth. Uh, but more specifically, yeah. accuse the colony of uh, the planet, uh, the colonial institution of Sirius. Yeah, the Sirius system. Earth as the primary power. Right. Of course, like instead of, of course, like if they really use propaganda, saying basically. Oh, they're they're only criticizing us because they want power for themselves, not because there's actually inequality. Like, yes, this is like in many ways this this part here is like all of the problems with a government at a certain size is that there is no when, when there is no such thing as accountability anymore. Right. Like, of course, these motherfuckers are just going to start pointing fingers. Yep. But uh, what this eventually does, however, is actually have a knock-on effect, where because their propaganda keeps mentioning, oh, Sirius, you know, is the is the center point of colonial, like, uh, you yeah. know, colonial like, representation. Oh, Sirius is the one organizing all the colonies to rise up. How and eventually they? the rest of the colonies to actually... <laughs> right. to actually band together behind oh, Sirius. Oh, man, Sirius is doing this? We better hang out with them. Yes, it, it actually has, it, which really tells you fucking how unpopular Earth must be if their chosen scapegoat is still more popular than uh, than Earth itself. Yeah, and so Sirius uh, becomes the center of anti-Earth alliance. Yeah. Like, which causes the Earth forces to be like, well, let's uh, blow them up, I guess. Let's bomb the shit out of them. Yes, uh, so. Yeah, under the guise of joint military exercises. Yeah, it's some fucked up shit right <laughs> here. Just this is really shooting. 
Right, so the documentary explains that under the guise, yes, under the, the pretense of a joint exercise with the defense forces of uh, Sirius, they bomb the entire Sirius, like, military fleet. Yeah. And uh, this is some... This is some real some fucked real up shit. shit. This is some really fucked up shit. This is... Uh, not that this doesn't have precedence precedent in our own you know history but uh, this is a real this is a move and i'm not necessarily going to even say this is a unanimously morally you know like condemnable move like there have been preemptive strikes in the history of of mankind that could be argued to be necessary to a certain extent i'm not going to get into those right now because that is a whole can of worms but regardless of it or how you feel about it this is a real fucking dirty move. And I get and, into how uh, discipline was lacking among Earth, Earth, Earth forces. Yes. And now they misreport various things so that higher-ups can embezzle money. Yes. Et cetera, et cetera. Like, make themselves look better by reporting that I'm under-reporting their own dead. Yes. Over-reporting yes. the casualties. And... Mass and, slaughter and, of non-combatants. Yeah. And... It, it kind of it goes to show that like you know the the complexity of Legend of the Galactic Heroes setting in history that they even mention make it a point to mention that actually there was anti war opposition there were people like you know, <laughs> so the journalist who uh, exposed like the number crunching uh, yeah like the stuff that we just mentioned that there were journalists exposing this stuff but because they lacked, because they lacked the institutional power to like push it through they were. You know, they were uh, they get they they were uh, scapegoated as fame seeking thieves. You know, mm-hmm. just continuing to push Earth government Earth's government further and further into corruption. And so this the city um, of the planet Londolina in Sirius uh, sector, city of Laglan, was you know uh, remnants of forces fled into the city of Laglan, and so Earth sends sends a bunch of troops to a uh, you know, wipe them out. Yes, and we get what is known as the Bloody Night, in which the Earth forces attack the city of Laglan, and just kind of... I mean, I'm gonna get real here. This is some this is some rape of non-king shit. Like, right. the Earth forces just basically kill and loot without punishment. You know, just... You know, they're, they're, they mentioned bits here where, like, there are literally Earth forces fighting each other over who gets to loot, like, what neighborhood, you know? Right. Yeah, there is just, uh, there is just some fucking truly... Talk about how, like, we cut people open to loot the diamonds that they swallowed to protect. Right, and that's just against other soldiers. Like, then you get into the violence against civilians, where they say that uh, 900,000 civilians are killed, and let it be told that this documentary or this show is not the show itself is not like fucking you know just you know talking about they're showing like some truly right uh, here's this body where they their mouths are slashed open to pull out gold teeth and or like you know fucking this person's finger is missing because let's not take the ring just cut off the finger whatever right or their ears have been cut off to take their earrings it's it is some truly abominable imagery, but also truly necessary imagery. I think, like, right, not not just for the not just for the documentary itself, but as a show, like as, as a show, Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Like, I think 
it is necessary to not shy away from the, these this kind of imagery. You know, we often talk about like gory imagery, gruesome imagery. You know, like and and it and, and its purpose, its purpose in fiction, right? Like, yeah, you know, we talk about gratuitous violence. You're like, oh, like this scene did not need to be this way. It did not be, need to be shown this way. And you know, uh, for those of us who don't oh. listen to our other podcasts, <laughs> we kind of get into this when we talk about um, Devil Man Crybaby. You know, another show that kind of right. gets to the need to show this kind of violence because because it's trying it's trying to show the like depths of humanity you know yeah like like sometimes like sometimes you you know sometimes it's, you're right you don't need to show the violence but here when they're talking about like in universe in the in the context of the show itself when they need to speak about violence that is being committed against innocent people it is necessary to show this it is necessary to show the, uh, the, the 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 violence that is being inflicted on people and yeah as if you thought this shit could not get any right. uh, the uh, earth forces deny that the uh, the massacre in Ludin and Leglon ever happened that's uh, yes. you know every, they had just made it up to uh, to solve your name yes um, but then three days later that happened not only does that happen but in a, in in a turn of events that again I think could only be written. I think well, not could only, but could, but considering this 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 novel was written by a Japanese person in the 1980s, right? This is what we get into here next. I think is uh, as real as you can fucking get. Like this is this is more real than I think any almost anything else I have fucking seen in Legend of the Galactic Heroes is that the Earth forces go from denying the events of Laglana. To uh, revising their story to minimize uh, minimize the casualties and deflect blame. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The the massacre did happen and looting did occur, but uh, it was only on a small scale. Only at most twenty thousand people lost their and, lives. And of course, and then they also say, and and by the way, the majority of that looting was caused by like of uh, um, a, a colonial partisans like disguising as civilians. And like you know, sowing chaos in our orderly occupation, yeah, anti-Earth guerrilla forces, or it was their fault. Yes, like for those of you who aren't that familiar with history, which I'm going to be honest, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably pretty familiar with history. Well, <laughs> but, you know, so just to kind Save of get to my it, benefit, because I'm not that familiar with history. <laughs> so you know, I'm not going to get too deep into it because it is some truly traumatizing and gruesome stuff to talk about but in many ways i think that this part here with Lagan, I, I maybe this is just a maybe this is just a footnote in the original novel maybe this isn't that important of a thing but you know to get a little bit real here as a person of chinese descent this this specific scene in the show was as real as this show has ever gotten for me. Uh, echoes I, the Nanking Massacre, right? Yes, yes. The, the, the Nanking Massacre or the Rape of Nanking, depending on your choice in nomenclature, uh, for those of you unfamiliar, was when the Japanese Imperial Forces in World War II occupied the city of Nanking. And what proceeded from there was... Some of the most uh, horrifying uh, violence and depravity that has maybe ever occurred in the 20th century that you know human humanity has ever seen. You know, it was uh, it was days and weeks of 
rape, pillage, and murder, and not even of the what you could call the mundane rape, pillage, and murder, but a specific type of cruelty that was displayed there that went far beyond just, you know, you know, quote unquote just beyond loot and pillage, but into a very specific type of racialized violence and hatred that just went so far beyond the pale that, you know, to this day, like, you know, to this day, there are some very, very deep scars, you know, in, in, in the country of China and their attitude held towards Japan. And not only that, but the part here about the Earth forces denying the events is almost a one-for-one perfect reflection of Japan's own actual approach to the Nanking Massacre. Um, For years, for decades, it was Japan's stance to just routinely deny the events of Nanking ever even occurred. You know, it, it wasn't even a case of, oh, yeah, we occupied Nanking. It was not even mentioned in their history books. Like, it was not taught. Like, it was never spoken of. And eventually, you know, just the nature of globalization means that, you know, these events eventually spread to the rest of the world, including the Western world. And eventually Japan and their government were forced to acknowledge that, okay, fine, this event did happen. Are you happy? And like like the Earth Forces at Leglan, the Japanese government initially tried to downplay the events. They were like, to this day, the event is known as the Nanking Incident in Japan. You know, when we talk mm. about the power of nomenclature, when we talk about the power of words, right. this is what we're talking about. You know, you know, on one on one end of the scale, you have the most dramatic version of the name. You know, the rape of Nanking. On the other end, you have the most sterilized version of the name, the Nanking Incident. And it very much speaks to uh, the way that the people involved wish to portray the event, to, to politicize it. And uh, Japan was very content for years to try and downplay it as, you know, oh, this was a minor thing. You know, yes, people died, very tragic, so sad, but that's war. Like, it, it took, like decades of like evidence and you know firsthand accounts to be recorded for japan's government to finally acknowledge that perhaps there was a greater scale to this tragedy and even now in 2019 you know with the very very conservative very nationalist uh, shinzo abe in at the head of the japanese government uh, Shinzo Abe himself, while not an outright non-king denier, is part of the political faction in Japan that seeks to downplay the events, to cut down the numbers, that no, it wasn't 300,000 killed, it was 100,000 killed. No, it wasn't 100,000 killed, it was 50,000 killed. No, it wasn't 50,000 killed, it was 20,000 killed, and 10,000 of them were actually, you know, Chinese military, you know, soldiers, you know, like, it, it, there's this continued desire to, to downplay and hide the events and again (sighs) i'm not saying that yoshiki tanaka was necessarily like you know some kind of anti-japanese government you know partisan but what i think he's doing here with the is showing that like this is human like never forget right this 
human behavior. This is what governments do. And this is what governments do when you do not hold them accountable. And, you know, whether I don't know what his thoughts are on Nanking or, you know, Japan's actions in World War II, but I can tell that by making the conscientious choice to write that event into his story is him trying to speak to the idea that governments will do this. And that, like, again, I'm not even saying he's saying he's making a call to action, but he is reminding you this is what governments will do if you do not if you do not hold them to a higher standard. Yep. And, uh, it's stunning how politically minded, uh, legend like heroes can be sometimes. (laughs) Right. What a surprise. This show. I know. Right. Uh, this show sometimes really goes for it. And, um, you know, uh, yeah. And so I, I, I can admit that some of this is perhaps just, you know, my own personal biases here, but I feel like, I feel like this episode in particular is Legend of the Galactic Heroes going in harder. Yeah, on this, I think it's also this episode because it's about the history of Earth. It's a step closer to our reality than anything else that has been in the show thus far. Indeed, even, even the previous history episode was still about the galactic community at large, um, right? Which is right. so far removed from ourselves and even though like like blood the bloody night of lagan was on another planet somewhere you know like it's about the yeah. it are so familiar yeah you know, that it, it, you are forced to confront it and uh um we then find out that eventually you know eventually what eventually brings an end to this war is the rise of four individuals who would meet and become the legends of the anti-Earth movement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not that I necessarily support Grey Man Theory, but uh, this episode gets into how these four became the like core of the anti-Earth movement. Uh, yes. I mean, I think you don't always have to, you know, just because there are important yeah. individuals does not necessarily That's make true. it, you know, yeah, yeah. great man theory. I would, yeah. You know, and I think, again, historiography is a thing that's constantly being debated. And, you know, whether you argue that it is social trends versus great individuals, I think the true answer is probably, you know, always going to be somewhere in the middle. You know, that there are indeed important individuals and that these four were. Yeah. Uh, and those four are... Uh, I don't remember their first names. I kind of just wrote down their last names okay, here. Okay, let's see here. Uh, if I click through all of my screen caps really fast. Well, okay, fine, it's fine. We don't need to know their full names. Uh, they are Palmgren, uh, Tosent, Frank Liu, and uh, Chow. Yeah. And uh, these four so would the, eventually... The Black Flag Coalition or... Yes. They, Black these Flag four, Force. I think that was, the, I think that was uh, Townsend, right? Or Townshent, I think. That was all, the, uh, all of them put together this force. No, uh, but one of them specifically, like the leaders of... Frank Cool is the field commander. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, he was specifically Okay, commanded. let's see, let's see here. Town... Uh, that's... Okay. Uh, Palmgren was kind of like the ringleader. Um, Palmgren was like the face, the ideals. Townshent was good at logistics. Organized bases and such. Frankel was the military com- lead field commander, and uh, Chow was the intelligence man. Yes, well, sabotage, anyway, etc. Uh, 
the point is that they would basically um, kind of kind of uh, you know round up and consolidate the anti-earth movements until it was a force that could uh, as often and uh, unfortunately as often as it happens uh, basically create a military force that could uh, forcibly destroy the earth government to, yeah, um, uh, to gain their freedom. They fight the earth forces back to earth and commence with just orbital bombardment. Like, yes, they just uh, completely obliterate the surface of the earth. Yeah, so they just wipe it down to a billion people on earth and uh, the area, era of Sirius arises for a short amount of time. Uh, yes. Because Palm, Palmgren, uh, who uh, supported great ideals and revolution and emancipation of the colonies, dies of an illness on the podium. Yes, two uh, years into the new government. And some fucking <laughs> zombie from Gundam shit. Yes, yes. Um, Z- or Zeon Zundaikum. Yes, yes, there we go. Yes, it's... It's, I mean, on one hand, you could argue it's contrived. On the other hand, like, that's, that's fucking human nature in a nutshell. Is like, how often it is that, like, if only, you know, this general had been alive at this battle, if only this statesman had lived two more years, you know, how different things would have been, you know? I mean, yeah. I think for Americans, the most obvious example is, like, you know, what if Lincoln had survived to see his president, his second presidency to full, you know? Like, right. how different reconstruction and like how differently would would have been the administration of the south have gone you know had he survived but often like fate works against us and uh we find out that Palmgren was kind of the linchpin he was basically the one holding the various disparate elements of the anti-earth movement together and that without him uh townshend and or townsend or whatever and and frank will become politicized and polarized against each other uh, Frank yeah. Liu the coup on Townsend. Yep. Townsend assassinates Chiao, <laughs> and then Townsend is killed by a neutron bomb <laughs> at the Capitol. There's this hilarious freeze frame because he's like, and in his limo, and then the show freeze frames at the frame. The neutron bomb is about to just blow him up, <laughs> like yes, motion it blur. It's a bit silly. Uh, it's much. Yeah, uh, and so uh, the Black Flag Force is split up because their leaders have all died and documentary says an era of chaos lasting about a century was about to begin. Yes, it would take yet another century. Watch this is watch part two of the documentary. Right. Right. Find it out take- what are the origins of the galactic Republic. Right. Yes. The galactic Republic, AKA the, the government we watched fall apart in the first documentary. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's like, Hey, that's, if that ain't a better sum- summarization of human history, you know, fucking, yeah, and, uh, I don't know what else is. Poplin you know, uh, demonstrates his strange perceptiveness after this by saying uh, that Earth was just like the royalty of the Empire. They believed that the right which they seized was that what was a right that they were entitled to have. Yeah, which, goddamn, Poplin, fucking. <laughs> You're supposed to be the dumbest person in the room, but here you are just regularly dropping truth bombs that I think even I would have trouble like coming up with just off the cuff, you know? Like yeah. that's, And uh, they uh, head off to Earth. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if, look, I don't know if we want to get into it now or, you know, if you think we already gave it its due, but, you know, just the idea we mentioned before of applicability versus allegory, you know, not just for this episode, but like for Legend of Galactic Heroes as a whole, like, right. Um, how much of it is, how much of it is, how much it, to, to speak to that push and pull, basically, how much of the content in Legend of Galactic Heroes is compelling because of how applicable it is to our lives versus how much of it is directly allegorical to the very real events in our own lives? I mean, alleg- allegory, I'm not denying that um, Yoshiki Tanaka probably had specific moments in mind when writing uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes and paralleled specific moments, but uh, but I don't think he was trying to say write write a moment and say this is specifically referring to this moment in history. Uh, I think right. it was, it's more taking inspiration from the patterns of history to create his own fictional history, right? Which is right. The, I think which is the line between allegory and applicability. Yes, I think I think that's a good point. You know, while I. I primarily I primarily brought up Nan King because again this is a story written by a Japanese individual which mm-hmm. I think probably would make this the most relevant example of this but I would never try to imply that the Nan King massacre was necessarily the only incident or even the only incident in World War II if we're going to be frank you know that right. for better or worse what it perhaps speaks to more is you know as long as governments exist and as long as they carry out atrocities with, with their military, which, as this documentary helpfully reminded us, is the most is the largest and most violent tool a nation possesses, That's that a fucking lie. they will always try to not only commit these acts, but possess just enough self-awareness to know these acts are bad and try to cover them up, you know, and that. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a can be a fuzzy line between the two, but. Indeed, that, indeed. that line is whether it was directly meant to be ri- directly written to explicitly be about Nine King, or if it was being inspired by the events. Right, right. And I think it is more likely the latter. Yeah, and I think based on everything that, we've seen so far, because of the show Legend of the Galactic Heroes is yes, you know, like you know we jo- we joke about the Galactic Empires being space Nazis, but like of course you know. If you want to really get like quote unquote objective about analyzing, you know, the actual <laughs> policies of government of Reinhardt's government, of course they're not Nazis, you know, like, right. you know, look, it, if Reinhardt starts talking about Lebensprom and, you know, the final solution in season four, then we're, we'll be, we'll be talking about, well, we having a whole different kind of discussion. Yeah. Um, for now, like when we joke about them being space Nazis, it is more just the very intentional mirroring of you know, their aesthetics and, you know, specific aspects of their politics, like the inferior genes law, you know, it is stuff like that, which are, are, you know, more reminiscent than like explicit references to specific policies. A more allegorical Legend of Galactic Heroes would be a lot more blatant about specifically drawing from the Nazis, I think. Right. Uh, right. A more allegorical Legend of Galactic Heroes would make Oberstein literally Hitler, which (laughs) like, I don't think he is, and I don't think anyone could ever argue he is. Like Oberstein is a jerk. He's right. he's a really he's a, he is a, an objectively bad human being, even if he does love dogs. <laughs> but you know, he is yeah. not he is not Hitler tier, not yet, anyways. But as we see in episode fifty seven, he's now the Secretary of Defense, Fleet Admiral yes. Oberstein. 
Yeah, what a title. Um, Not a title I ever expected Oberstein. Yeah, for Reinhardt announces his cabinet. You know, Secretary of State is Mariendorf, Secretary of Defense Oberstein, and a bunch of other new people who probably aren't that important. Uh, maybe I'll eat crow later, but... Look, I think the way I've, I've taken to it, I, I've accepted it is, when Legend of the Galactic Heroes introduces like 10 characters at the same time, mm-hmm. they kind of safely not pay attention to their names. Because right. if they do matter, if they truly are important to the story, they'll show up later, they'll and they will show up themselves. Yeah. and they will have a good reason to distinguish, but yes, dis- distinguish themselves. Uh, the only one I kind of have an eye on is Silver Birch because he had a scene two episodes ago. You know, right. like so that is a way of communicating. Oh, maybe this is the one you want to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, we saw that in the same way with Reinhardt's Admirals. You know, we were introduced to like Mittermeier and Royenthal, and then you got like Bittenfield. And... Yes, yes, you have the important ones, and then you have the ones like Wallen and Kemp, kind of off to the side. And it's like, don't worry, those guys don't matter until. They Until do. they do matter, <laughs> and at which point we will make sure you know who they are. Yes, yes. Uh, we have a good bit here where uh, Hilda's dad, the elder Marindorf, just uh, straight up asking Reinhard when he's gonna when he's gonna have some kids. You know, because yeah. hey, uh, when are you gonna marry? You need to establish a line of succession. It is your yes. responsibility now? Right. As, like this is not as head of state. Just, this is not just the elder Marindorf like being like, oh, when you gonna give me some grandkids? This is like him being oh, like, yeah. Uh, yo, I hope you don't remember. This is the government we operate in. Like mm-hmm. we are still a government that operates in direct lines of succession. <laughs> yes. So, like, as long as you don't have a kid, we don't have. We don't have a line of succession. We don't have. We don't actually have a continuous government yet. Like, mm-hmm. but, but uh, yeah, so Reinhardt's only twenty three. He's got plenty of time. Um, you know, I'm sure if I really tried, I could have won the galaxy by the time I was twenty three. You know? Yeah, but, you know, I just, I, you know, it's just we were busy. A, lo- a lot of video games came out, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like I told you, I got to pick between like finishing Sekiro and winning the galaxy. That's a look. That's a tough. That's a tough. Uh, yeah. That's a tough balance to reach there. It's true, but uh, I yeah. think it's very telling that Reinhardt is like that. Doesn't matter. I'll. I'll deal with that later. Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, we all talked about how we assumed, like, of course, Hilda and Reinhardt are going to get together. Mm-hmm. But like, what if, what if events, cons- I'm not saying like Hilda dies. I'm not saying that's happening. What if some events conspire that somehow prevent that from happening? Because I fear that what if this is actually foreshadowing that, I'm not saying they're going to reveal in episode like 72 that oh sorry Reinhardt's shooting blanks, but <laughs> or what, what is he some... gonna is he gonna never mind I'm not even gonna bring up what I was about to say because it's all right you can tell me after the podcast because <laughs> I'm curious what you were about to say but I'm just saying what if something happens that what if Reinhardt never has a kid like. This wouldn't I be think the it's first. Possible. Yeah. This wouldn't be the first empire in the history of man that this has been a situation in. I mean, you know, uh, legendary Roman Empire uh, emperor himself, Augustus, was not the son of his predecessor. You know, like right. I mean, like and heck, even uh, I guess even Rudolph's, you know, first heir was like his grandson. Right? Yeah, like 
yeah, it's it. I, I'm just saying it's one of those things where it's like, and I wonder if, you know, I save our I, I save our baseless speculation for the end of season podcasts because otherwise every podcast would be two hours of speculation. But I'm just saying, what happens if one of the primary conflicts in the Empire down the line is succession? Well, uh, we'll just have to get uh, Anna Rose's child with her attendant boy, and uh, <laughs> everything will be fine. Yeah, but anyways, <laughs> uh, yes. So, long story short, Reinhardt kind of waves it off, and uh, yeah, you know, and we immediately get a scene of Oberstein. Before that, actually, we have a we have a small bit where uh, Mariendorf says, "Oh, uh, by the way." Uh, I got this nephew, uh, Baron von Kuhnmill. He really wants to see you, Reinhard. Okay. Uh, and, and Reinhard's like, okay. We'll <laughs> you, know, check so, it out. you know, that happens. Yeah. Then so Oberstein to- just like lays into Mariendorf and he's like, I hear you are talking about marriage. Did you mean your daughter? Right. Are you trying to get more political capital? <laughs> and it's the most fucking Oberstein it's ass. So like, Oberstein. Fucking Ober- like, fucking chill out, Oberstein. Like, here's the thing, though. It's like, you get where Oberstein's coming from, of course. Yes, of course. Because even, even if Mariendorf actually meant that entirely, like, benevolently, let's say he had no no hint of, of ambition in his mind when he asked, you know, Reinhardt about and marriage. And he goes on to say that he did not, so... Right, which he goes on to say he didn't, which, again, proves that either the Mariendorfs are much better at playing the political game than they're letting on, <laughs> or they're a lot dumber than they're letting on, which, you know, we'll see. But, uh... Yeah, Oberst. I mean, because I guess in a way, it's like Oberstein's a jerk about it, but he's also not wrong. They're like, hey, if like I'm already trying to muscle in, I'm, I'm already trying to muscle in on Reinhardt, and I have to compete with Hilda. Like, and like you know, after the events of Vermilion, let's be real. After the events of Vermilion, Hilda's political capital has skyrocketed. Right. But make no mistake, there's a fucking reason why later in this episode, when Reinhardt is getting lunch with Baron von Kuhnmel. It's Martin. Dor- it's 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 Hilda sitting next to him, and not Oberstein. I mean, other than you know, Oberstein would never go to a lunch because you know, he would fucking say some you know. snide yeah. shit. You know, but uh, I think Oberstein is now more acutely aware than ever that uh, in some ways he is losing influence in yeah. in in the game. Doesn't want anybody else to have anybody to have unduly high influence with the Kaiser because yeah. that's not uh. That's not in accordance with his principles. Unless it's him. Unless it's he's the one who has <laughs> uh, disproportionate yeah, influence. Sure. And, but, and uh, as I was saying to you while we were watching, like, season two didn't get that much slimy Overstein. Uh, I think we're going to get a lot more in season three. Slimy Overstein to make a comeback. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so basically, um, Reinhardt decides to give Kunmel a visit. Uh, makes his way to the Kunmel estate where we find uh, Kunmel is doing great. He's doing even worse than he was yeah. last time when he met with his you know sick looking guy. Um, I was a little sad Mecklinger wasn't here. We haven't seen Mecklinger at all. Yeah, I hope he's sad. okay. Yeah, I I'm going to echo last week's podcast. Last podcast. I hope Mecklinger's all right. <laughs> but um, yeah. So you know, invites him to lunch. And uh, they basically sit down for lunch, and Kumail just lays it out. Um, so I'm going to be real with you, Reinhard. We're sitting over a bomb. Yes, we are sitting over an underground chamber filled with Zephyr particles, and here in my hand is the detonator. And 
you to know, find out we were thinking like yeah we spent so much time in the last podcast wondering what what could possibly be the earth cult's crazy plan with kunmo what crazy thing will he do to influence the entire galaxy i'll just put a bomb here turns out it's a bomb it's i'm a little disappointed yeah like i'm not you know look i'm not angry at you legend of the galactic heroes i'm just a little disappointed <laughs> You make all these fucking wide-sweeping gestures about oh, I think I think maybe some of the stuff of this episode makes up for it, but... True. But just all these conspiracies about the Earth cult, and it just results in a bomb. Like, at this point, if... If Yang's secret weapon back at Izerlone is also just a bomb... Well, okay, actually, that would be pretty funny, because... They spent all that time looking for a bomb. Yeah. So, it was just the secret was just a second bomb. <laughs> that would be pretty funny, but you know, I would hope for something a little bit more you know grand than that. Uh but yeah, yeah so Kunal basically lays out, he's like Yeah, I've been you know powerless my whole life, and now I hold all the power. Right. Like he just wants to hold the life of the Empire in his hands for once. Yeah, you know, but to- Reinhardt is uh not a man who will capitulate. Even yes. with his life on the line. You know, we we kind of get a bit here. We're fucking, you know, Kunmail is just monologuing instead of hitting the button. We have all these great bits here where, like, the rest of Reinhardt's cabin are, like, trying to eye Reinhardt and be like, oh, you want us to, like, uh, like, they're, like, fucking, like, looking back and forth. They're, like, got their my, brows are my gun here, I like, guess. We have a great bit here where one of the security guys, like, sticks his head out from beneath the table. Like... <laughs> Yep. Of course, then we find out in the next scene, he's, he's back sitting at his table, which is very funny to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, he crept up right behind Baron von Kudenel, and then, like, Reinhardt's like, nah, go back to your seat. And he's like, all right, fine. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> and, yeah, but, uh, meanwhile, you know, one, uh, Ulrich Kessler is, you know, head of military police, is, uh, being visited by one Job Trunick. <sighs> uh, this motherfucker. <laughs> Still yes, here! Josh- Job truly informs Kessler that because of his uh, supposedly um, oh my, my loyalty to the Kaiser, I was forced to work with those Earth Call goons. Right, tell you their plans so I can curry favor because I'm a yes. fucking ass kisser. And, and it is very job true that he rem- he he said he he says every other sentence he tries to remind Kessler. I just want to remind you, I I didn't want to work with the Earth Cult. They forced me to. Like I'm it's, loyal to the Kaiser, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, for better or worse, Kessler uh, makes good on cho- on Jobs' uh, information and uh, launches a raid on the Earth Cult headquarters on Odin. Yeah, uh, launches rescue squad to rely on Hertz location and just goes after the HQ of the Earth Cult yes. Uh, yes. on a, on uh, Odin. Wow, what a fucking! <laughs> just, uh, they start playing a fucking Night on Bald Mountain, which. Some of you may recall was in the Disney film Fantasia, in the segment where the devil is summoning ghosts to terrorize people. Um, well, as Imperial troops just shoot this place up. Yeah, and it's uh, boy, it's it, it's yeah, a we good. wanted we wanted more crazy Empire shit. Um, yes, and we are getting it in spades. Just fucking scenes of Earth cult cult like earth cult cultists just rushing empire goons with knives or like killing themselves just disemboweling themselves yeah, and drinking poison and 
Yeah, it's <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's so goddamn ridiculous. Wild. And um, but we we we, we come back to uh the Kunmel estate where uh Kunmel keeps monologuing. He's just like yeah, like this dude could have pressed the button like <laughs> twenty minutes ago. But it, it, this is what happens when somebody who has never been in the spotlight gets into the spotlight for the right. first time. They just can't let it. In the spotlight. And I keep this going he, as long as I can. He fucking sees that Reinhardt keeps kind of gripping the pendant that yeah, uh, the Kirkyaz picture. Yes, and his hair. Don't forget his hair is in there too. The lock of Kirkyaz's hair. Yes. And uh, Kunel's like, I want to see that pendant. And everybody, everybody's <laughs> with the bomb here. Show it to me. And everybody, I kind of love this. Everybody, everyone. I mean, even us. <laughs> it's like, oh like, shit! Cross the shit. line. And 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 Reinhard, you know, fucking, we get a little bit of bratty Reinhard again. Like Reinhard, who won't share his toys, is like, no, I don't want to show it to you. You're not allowed to look at this. It's mine. And Kunmel's like, no, I want to see it. No. And, the struggle to see the pendant here is what allows Reinhardt to fucking clock <laughs> and um, just fucking... slaps the detonator out of his hand. How dare you touch me? Yes, get the detonator out of his hand. And Man, you know. I, I just fucking Kunmel, you just you completely ineffectual fool. You fucking dumbass. You held you literally held the empire in your grasp and you couldn't even accomplish yep. the extremely basic task. Mm, yeah. Pushing a button. If it was South Tau here, he would have pushed that button. Oh yeah, no. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No Renaissance man, South Tau would have hit that button like fucking nothing. Because you know, better to betray the world than have the world betray me. You know, uh. <laughs> clearly, clearly, Kunmel did not learn from the greats here. So uh, you call yourself a scholar of the great Renaissance man, South Tau. And as I mentioned. You know, I hate to break it to you, Kunmel, but somehow, somehow, Kunmel, uh, you have objectively contributed less to history, less to history than Count Landsberg, the bungling poet. <laughs> right. In terms of your contribution to the fabric of history, you have somehow fucked up harder than the man whose namesake is the bungling poet. Oh, well, we're, we still have more episodes of the show. Look, man, I'm just saying, I think this is it for Kunmel, for whereas Landsberg, Landsberg's still out there, yeah, man. Yeah, but he brought the uh, issue of the Earth Cult to Reinhardt's attention. Sure, sure. I mean, yes, I guess Kunmel gets the honor of being... Uh, the it, first it, failed assassination attempt on Kaiser Reinhardt. I guess go down in the history books as uh, the first assassination attempt of the Kaiser. Which, hey, in and of itself, you know, hey, that's kind of notable, I guess. Even if I think all the historians will just say, Kunmel had everything going for him, the plan was perfect, and he still somehow fucked it up. Wah, wah. Yeah, and so, uh... uh that leads to, uh... That leads to a very Reinhard moment here. Yes. Where, kind of like staring off into the distance, and he's like, you know, it was so satisfying to fight for something, to win something. So, yeah, fight to gain, gain more and more power. Not so joy and trying to defend it. Yeah, yeah, like maintaining it, defending it, like defending a status quo. That's boring. And I think the the world should be filled with more great enemies. And again, I think, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to put this tally on my end, but you know, I think I was the one banging the gong back then. That that 
Reinhardt's warmonger tendencies are only going to get worse from here on from here on out. Yeah. Like he is uncomfortable. He is uncomfortable in a, in a world where he's not fighting. And I almost think that I think I think Reinhardt kind of relishes this moment because finally he, somebody I can be totally justified in just crushing. Yes, and uh, that leads to Reinhardt meeting with his uh, his admirals and uh, his admirals and the rest of his cabinet. To uh, you know, kind of basically talk about like, okay, what do we do about this, these Earth cult guys? Yeah, we need to so, deploy troops to Earth, and uh, right, we have a fucking notable, um, fucking uh, sleazeball, uh, hydro yeah. kind of showing up here to be like, well, actually, I think we need some more time to investigate. If you could give me a, a few more months to look into the Earth right. cults, and uh, you know they. Narrator even goes as far as saying that there's friction between Lang and the National Security Agency and Kessler of the military police. You know, once again proving that no matter the time and no matter the age, uh, Lang <laughs> the and Kessler. Yes, yes. No matter the time and no matter the age, Lang and Kessler will always feud. Indeed, uh, will not make any sense to ninety nine percent of our listeners, but <laughs> so be it. Um, but yes, yes, it's, uh, I think, you know, yes, you can definitely tell that is, this is definitely an intentional power play by Lang to be like, shit, Kessler is getting all the credit for this Earth cult stuff. Like, I need to buy time to, like, rough up some civilians and, you know, right. move, you know, get rid of basic human rights to uh, put the power back in our court. And uh, Bittenfield jumps up. <laughs> Yes. He's like, let me do it. I won't kill them. Oh, good old Bidfield. I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm here. I'm here, Your Majesty. Right, right. Like, Reinhardt's like, what do we do about this earth cult? And Bidfield's like, I have an idea. Send me fight them. It's like, oh, Bidfield, you are always so eager to just. Uh, oh, Bidfield, you, you goof. You <laughs> card. Yes. And, and Reinhardt is like, <sighs> thank you. Uh, thank you, Bittenfield. I, I appreciate it. But I think it would be a bit much to send my most elite vanguard force to crush Earth. Yep. So uh, uh, yeah. instead, we're going to send Wallen. Yeah, Samuel, Samuel Wallen, who has been there since the start. Uh, yeah, like, he hasn't done much, so... Yeah, um, and give, basically tells him, make sure you don't harm non-believers, but also, anyone on Earth is a believer, so just this like tacit al- allowance it's, for Wallen to kill anyone. Right. It's basically Reinhardt kind of tacitly giving Wallen permission to prosecute the Earth populace uh, without oversight. You know that, like, basically, I'm giving you carte blanche with whatever you do with Earth, as long as the Earth cult is crushed in the end. And uh, yeah, so. Uh, with that taken care of, you know, with that that uh campaign having well, been launched, and yeah, the Wallen fleet uh, heads to Earth. So it's we return, by force. Yes, we return to the undutiness where uh, uh they are almost hey, we're about to Earth, guys. Yeah, yeah, they kind of talk about like how many people are on Earth these days. Uh, turns out it's ten million. Uh, that's ten tiny, <laughs> like 10, ten million for the entire population of Earth. That's like. That's like less than the population of like New York City, dude. Like, yeah. Um, let's see. Let me look up a number real fast. Sure. 
Yeah. Uh, bu- 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 New York City. This is riveting audio. Um, New York City has about 8.5 million people. All right. So about the population of New York City. Yeah. But the whole planet. The entire planet. I mean, I don't know like, how much of the surface has been ravaged by time, but. Yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing is we still haven't even seen the surface of Earth. Well, we've seen underground of Earth. You know, we've seen, <laughs> you know, the Bishop of the Earth cult's underground layer, but we haven't actually seen Earth proper, which, yeah. you know, I'm very curious about. And I think we're all curious. Poplin's even curious. Yeah. You know, asking, uh, are there cute girls on Earth? Oh, you know, like. Cute girls. You know, uh, and we have a bit here where, you know, hey, Poplin, is it is this Poplin who says this? Continues to fucking lay it down? Right. Where's his code says, uh, they kind of both lie down, but uh, as we gear up to go to Earth, uh, let's see here. That's it's they're talking about like pretty ladies in the Earth cult, and Poplin says that the love preached by the Earth cult isn't for the planet Earth because uh, they're just using religion to revive the privilege of their own ancestors. Because yes, if they yes. really loved Earth, they wouldn't be trying to get involved in war or power struggles. Uh, yes, and there is an explicit line here where they say religion is just a way to control people. So, you know that uh, there's no more efficient tool for dominating the populace. That's yes, there the, we go. Konev says that. Yes, you know it's, that it's uh, convenient for those in power. You know. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know, <laughs> as I think always, true. Yeah, it is, and as always, it is the very you know real reminder that hey. Uh, power structures often take many different forms. You know, sometimes yeah. it is ideological, sometimes it is nationalist, and sometimes it is theocratic. Yeah, and that uh, it is just as much a uh, a tool to be abused by those in power as any other. You know that uh, yep. You know that often it can be even sometimes even worse because it carries that mean streak of righteousness to it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah. Additionally, they also confirm that uh, anime exists in the world of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Right. Poplin's talking about how uh, he'll go and meet the beautiful daughters of the gross and creepy Grand Bishop, and uh, they'll fall in love with the dashing hero. Um, <laughs> Konev says, you should go write children's anime. Yes, which is very good. And again, confirms people watch anime in legend of the galactic heroes <laughs> i i want to know what anime yang wen lee watches uh, oh there was that one that was uh bankrolled by fazan that one episode you remember that oh yeah <laughs> right yeah oh, but man. uh our, our intrepid heroes are arriving on earth and to avoid suspicion they must dress up as they're as though they're earth cult believers and on the this same, is happening at the same day. At the same time, the Empire has decided to invade Earth, which continues what? the trend of Julian picking the absolute worst times to take a vacation. Or maybe the best times. <laughs> we will see. We will see. Um, I, just, I just love that Julian just keeps fucking stumbling from one... Really messy situation. Yeah. Oh boy. But hey, maybe he'll solve it with his tell. I don't know. I'm sure his presence will become very important uh, for 
eventually resolving this situation. I mean, it's Julian. Like, if anybody yeah. can get it done, you know, <laughs> if, if anyone can, if anyone can defeat the Grand Bishop of the Earth Cult in a lightsaber battle, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it'll be him. But I uh, thought you're a war orphan, but I'm actually your father. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it is interesting this uh, this kind of setup where we are once again kind of in this kind of three way situation with kind of the Earth Cult, Julian and Wallen and the Imperial fleet on its way. And yeah. I'm kind of curious how this plays out, because last time something like this happened, we thought it would be a more complicated situation, you know, back when Julian was on Fazan. Right. We thought, oh, then, it would be like a real messy situation. But then he immediately it, left. Yeah, and I hope that's not what happens here on Earth, because, again, because the Empire is the strongest faction of the three by a huge margin, you know, like I'm talking like 10 to 1, maybe even 50 to 1, in terms of like power margin here, like I'm curious what could possibly be the obstacle for Wallen here on Earth because if it's just him attacking Earth, like what does the guerrilla resistance from Earth look like? You know, what does the occupation look like? And again, I think why specifically pick Wallen? Like why not Mittermeier or Bittenfield? You know, and I think yeah. I don't just mean that in terms of a skill set thing. I think I mean that in a narrative like positioning thing mm -hmm. like because again like i think I, I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that when they needed to pick an a, 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 an empire admiral to get killed by yang wen lee <laughs> they, picked Kempf, yeah. they picked Kempf. they picked someone who was frankly a, a little bit more expendable than the other admirals and i feel like again unless yeah. there's like a lot of stuff they haven't mentioned about mentioned about wallen in the books that's kind of wallen now like we don't know much about him like he has probably done stuff in the show up till now and we just straight up forgot because you know it's been a while yep. so like so then you wonder is wallen's presence as the leader of the imperial fleet on earth is that either to develop him more as a character or is that to make him a sacrificial lamb to the machinations of the Earth cult? I could see it going either way, to be honest. Uh, yeah, and it's like... I'm curious. And I, and I guess I'm kind of curious, again, like, what does the Earth cults play? Because, like, if the Earth cult just gets fucking... If they just straight up get killed here, <laughs> like, the Earth cults... It's like, oh, that was fast. Kind of, <laughs> it's not much of... Considering how much they build up to them, you know, right. it's kind of a wet part of a conclusion. So, like... Because here's the thing, like, for example, with Fazan, like, yes, Fazan got taken out pretty early, but I also think Fazan's not done yet. Right, Rubinsky's still in hiding. Right. But if the Earth Cult just gets taken out here, and that's it for them, that's not much of a conclusion. Like, mm -hmm. so then I'm curious, what does the Earth Cult resistance look like? Because, yeah. Well, excuse one last tangent in this podcast for today. <laughs> Usually, when two forces are fighting against each other, and one is dramatically more powerful than the other, what you end up is in a situation of insurgency versus counterinsurgency and the kind of principles and aspects that play into that you know uh when you fight a guerrilla war you know you don't fight to defeat the empire you know the earth cult has no chance of destroying the empire in in, in a conflict between them and between them but how can they possibly achieve their other goals because you know one of the primary methods that a guerrilla uh, force uh, tries to win a war against a more powerful force is to tire them out is to make the war no longer uh tasteful to them essentially you know 
like fight so viciously, fight so hard, like even even when they even when they kill you in the thousands, you make them pay for it. You know, you make it the most you know dreadful, emotionally traumatizing thing in the world. I wonder if uh, the uh, Earth Cult's new strategy will be to back the remnants of the FPA. Right, and we'll have is, to team is, up with these guys right, to uh, some real gross yeah. enemy of enemy situation. And even more than that, it's like because here's the thing, right? Like one of the ways a guerrilla force can win a war against a more powerful force is that they damage the more powerful force enough that they then become uh, vulnerable to their other more powerful enemies. Right, but they're so a classic yeah. example of this is the Revolutionary War, where the Americans didn't really beat the British, but they softened they softened up the British enough that they started to get worried about the French. Right, you know, like. It wasn't a case of, oh, America might beat us, but it's, oh, America might bloody us enough that our neighbors might take advantage of that. But that's not going to happen in this situation where the FBA is definitely in no shape to take advantage of this. Yeah. And another way uh, a guerrilla f- uh, force can win is uh, propaganda, is to uh, make the populace of the invading force eventually grow so sick and tired of the war that they protest against the war, that they no longer wish to fight the war. Except but, Reinhardt's uh, government is one where he is the boss and everyone else listens to him exactly. rather rather like, than a democracy where public opinion uh, right. ideally is influencing. Exactly. Like, no matter how, yeah. yeah, like no matter how unpopular this war with the Earth Cult gets, as long as Reinhardt is running things, he can essentially wage that war indefinitely. And, you know, it's uh, and I guess I it makes me wonder then, how does the Earth Cult resist the Empire? Because here's the thing, believe me, I ain't rooting for the Earth Cult. But also, if the Earth Cult just gets rolled over in like two episodes, that's not particularly interesting either, unless that specifically leads to an entirely new, even crazier status quo. Which <laughs> <sighs> let's be real, yes, is entirely possible with this goddamn show. All right, I think with uh, all that said, we're going to call this a podcast. So uh, let's take care of the basic housekeeping, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, you can listen to uh, this podcast and read the rest of our content on theglorioblog.com. Yeah. You can follow us at Twitter, at theglorioblog. You can uh, listen to our sister podcast, The Glorio Chat, where uh, we talk about other anime, though. Yeah, it's the new season, and uh, yes. our, our latest podcast for The Glorio Chat has our impressions on... Several of the new shows out. Yes, indeed. Though, who knows if we're going to keep talking about those shows for much <laughs> longer at this rate. Uh, you can also listen to the podcast uh, at most other podcast aggregators, uh, Podbean, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Spotify, all those places. You can also listen to the podcast on YouTube. Uh, you know, like, subscribe, leave a review, all that stuff. You know, um, yep. I like to believe that we are a five-star podcast, but, you know, because I respect... star podcast. You know, I, I respect the intelligence of our viewers so much. I'll leave it up to them. You know, wink. Um, uh-huh. I think... Uh, oh, yes, you can watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive and VRV. And I think that's going to do it. So, uh, Eero, yeah. you have any closing thoughts? Um. Hadrick Lang is a, a foot two post Malone. Boast Malone. Is it Boast Malone? Post Malone is an actual rapper. So, so what is Boast Malone supposed to mean? 
it's like a it's like a play on post malone oh like it's like haha like i'm comparing you to this rather notorious rapper oh oh, okay (sighs) well it's still a sludge of glory heroes not not hip-hop podcast (laughs) well with all that thank you all for listening (laughs) hero thank you for accompanying Uh, me thank you we will see you all next time amongst the sea of stars (laughs) 